Scary Bugs, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and 144,000 Virgins. Welcome to the Book of Revelation. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are here in Santa Cruz, California, and we're pastors at Gospel Community Church. That's right. Praise the Lord. Welcome, like, subscribe, comment. We are in the second episode of the Book of Revelation, and we are winding down our season. Sad to say, but mm. we are nearing the end, but the end of the Bible is a joyous thing. Yeah. So. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yes. And you're all going to get judged. It's yep. going to be great. Yep, Exactly. Um, but there's hope. There's hope. That's what Christmas is all about, too. Mm. So Amen. it's good to remember that. Um, well, I've spent a ton of time in the last few months, really, studying Revelation in preparation for this. And I think I think we got this figured out. I don't know what why there's much debate yeah, about it's this It's very book. simple. Yeah. Super simple. No. no, of course, I'm joking. I don't think, yeah, I don't think I figured this all out. I have some, some strong opinions, but most things I'm ho- holding with a very open hand. And so I hope that you hear that spirit in us that we want to we want to argue, we want to convince. Obviously, we don't want to just say like, "Who knows?" But that there is, yeah, just because someone disagrees, they're not a heretic. Mm-hmm. I mean, Caleb is, but like most people aren't. Caleb's our producer and worship leader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's great. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I hope that we can have that posture. That man, so many, so many of my spiritual heroes have widely different views on this. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a good reminder. Not that we shouldn't study it and shouldn't come to a conclusion. But that we should be humble about that. Yeah, but I most think. of your heroes fall into a similar category. The heretics? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I was just saying that most of your heroes, you know, might fall into historic, you know, primo. No, no. I mean, John MacArthur. Um, J. Mac, yeah, that's true. Um, R.C. Sproul doesn't even know what he is still. Yeah, probably. yeah. We don't. Just yeah. all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and, I, and I went to a, so I went to a, my undergrad was at a dispensational yeah, you're weird. premillennial school, and then my graduate studies was at an amillennial school, and then my current doctoral studies are at a, well, kind of a mixture, but mostly historic premill. Mostly, yeah. like. So right now, anyway. If you don't know what any of those words mean, it's fine. Well, you'll you'll kind of know, but I don't know that you'll have like. There's so much to talk about with this, so but we'll talk a little bit about those in coming weeks. So we. Don't have a ton of time to cover this book, and so there's so many views on every part of this book. So we'll do the best we can to sum it up. Because again, I want you to, we want to equip you to read the Bible for yourself. We don't want to give you every answer, but give you some tools so that you can come into this book with confidence, saying, "Oh, this isn't just complete Greek that I'm reading, right?" Like, it makes some sense, right? Yeah, hundred percent. So one of the things that we have to talk about is is numbers in Revelation. Mm-hmm. So are we to take these numbers exciting. literally or figuratively, right? And really, I mean, context matters a lot. So as we're reading, we have to be attentive to that. What does the context show us? But there's clearly a lot of sim- a symbolic focus on many of these numbers. So the number seven is used over and over and over and over again. And so there's a significance to that as a number of completion, right? A divine number points to completion, right? A seven-day week. Mm-hmm. The seventh day was the day of rest for God. And of course, at the end, every seven, the seventh of, of all of these different uh, iterations of seven is sort of the completion. The final act of God mm-hmm. is what's in view. The number 144,000, how there's 12,000 from each of these 12 tribes. We'll see that in a little bit. That seems to be heavily symbolic as well. Not everyone agrees with that, but the number three we have like the the trinity obviously and we'll have the unholy trinity of the dragon 
the beast and the false prophet mm-hmm. that's supposed to mirror and imitate and pervert who God is. Right. And even the number three and a half years, which is also the number 42 months, which is also 1260 days. <laughs> we'll see that later. And that seems to have a symbolic value right. rather than speaking to literal days or months or years. Mm-hmm. Again, people will disagree. It's okay. You can be wrong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also, you know, numbers are one big issue, but also the Old Testament and the allusions to the Old Testament are very important. So Revelation is constantly alluding to Old Testament books. Mm-hmm. There are no direct quotations from the Old Testament, but there are over 400 and maybe, like I said, up to a 1,000 mm-hmm. allusions, references to the Old Testament. And so the majority of the references come from a handful of books, right? Right. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel are heavily in view, and then Psalms and in in sort of the worship portions. We see mm-hmm. a lot of hints or references or allusions to Psalms. And so we have to understand you know, the references in context, and um, be careful about just immediately connecting it to the Old Testament mm-hmm. and importing all of that meaning. Right. Because, I mean, Paul, Paul, John was so steeped in Scripture that he's referencing, because that's his entire worldview. Yeah. And so we, we should just be careful about how we're connecting with the Old Testament. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that, that helps you that much for me to say that. But So the outline, we're, we've just seen the seven churches in the first three chapters. We're going to see today the seven seals mm-hmm. and the seven trumpets. That's what we're going to focus on today. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Seven seals. So chapter four, right, verse verse one, after this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. So after this seems to be referring now to future events. So again, there's debate as to how to interpret mm-hmm. Revelation, but it seems to be looking to the future. And we see the throne of God in chapter four. And we see this rainbow, right, the rainbow um, around the throne. And so God is surrounded, God's throne is surrounded by a rainbow, which is so amazing because, of course, this connects back to Genesis, right? And the rainbow that was given, the first rainbow that was given to Noah mm-hmm. as a promise that God's God's been merciful to his creation, that he promises to uphold his creation. And so this is beautiful. This picture of God surrounded by the rainbow. Again, not LGBT. He's not he's not an ally. What a horrible perversion of the sign yeah. of God. Yeah, it's very yeah. sad. But how beautiful the symbol actually is, which is that God is merciful right. and he's upholding his creation. So God is always in view of that rainbow and that promise associated mm-hmm. with it. We see the living creatures around the throne, which are an echo of Ezekiel and Ezekiel's vision of the throne of God. Hey, why'd you point at me when you said LGBTQ? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. You 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 know, you want to be an ally. Yeah. No. No, no. dude. No, I do not. <laughs> And out, yeah, you want you want to love people by telling them the truth. It's a yeah, re- revolutionary amen. idea, yes, not by in, yes. in, you know encouraging sin. No. Um, let's see, verse verse eight. By the four living creatures have six wings; they're full of eyes all around within. This is Ezekiel language. If you, if mm-hmm. you don't remember that, and day and night they never cease to say, "Holy, holy, holy yeah. is the Lord God Almighty yeah, who was and is and yeah. is to come." Beautiful, beautiful praise. Um, and it's a reminder. That's a reminder of Isaiah chapter six in the vision of Isaiah, oh, yeah. seeing God and seeing these these angelic beings singing those words, "Holy, mm-hmm. holy, holy." That threefold repetition, pointing pointing to perfection, yep, and fullness and completion. 
So, and then we see the the elders are casting their thrones, or casting their thrones, casting their crowns before the throne of God. Uh-huh. And this is where that band name comes from, Casting Crowns. What, what's, what's some songs they sing? I don't know. I don't remember this band. What? Casting no, Crowns? I'm joking. I'm oh, just okay. trying to date your Wow, age, you know? dude, yeah. you're not even, not even well, a Christian. I d- well, I wasn't saved when they were. Uh, what if his people pray? Something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we see them give. So they're, they're giving what is valuable to them, their accolades, their glory to God and honoring him and mm-hmm. praising him. So great. Uh, these chapters, I mean, chapter four, just you could just meditate on this chapter for a long time. But we're going to get to the controversial stuff. <laughs> chapter five, again, reminds us of Ezekiel. We see this, this um, scroll sealed with seven seals. Remember in Ezekiel the mention of the scroll written on you know the front and the back, and so it's sealed. So when speaking to the seals, it's speaking to that wax seal on a scroll, uh-huh. and so there's these seven seals that are going to be opened. But initially, there's no one who can open them. Right, the, the angel cries out, "Who's worthy to open the scroll?" And no one is worthy. And John begins to weep because. If they can't open the scroll, they won't know what's to come. Mm-hmm. They won't see the unfolding of God's judgment and his salvation. Yeah. And then, of course, verse 5, one of the elders says to John, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Mm. So Judah, David, these connections to the Old Testament, very significant, of course, where Jesus comes from. But he is worthy he can open the scrolls. He can reveal what's to come and the judgment of God. And then he looks for this lion in verse 6. So remember, it says the lion in verse 5. Mm-hmm. And it says, between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So the lion is actually a lamb. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is we. This is very familiar language for Christians. Right. Christ is the conquering lion, but he's also the sacrificial lamb. Mm-hmm. He rules, but he's also humble and sacrificial. So he's both of these things. And of course, this lamb is going to be in direct contrast to the the beast that comes later mm-hmm. that is fearsome and ugly and terrible, right? So he, the, the lamb takes the scroll and it begins to open the seals. And so we're, we're going to see the unfolding of these seals. Um, and of course, the song of of you know of the crowd in re, in verse nine, right? Worthy are you to take the scrolls to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So this is Exodus nineteen language, right? Kingdom of priests. That language was present in the Old Testament of God's people, and now. That's going to be revealed in a greater way through the through Jesus Christ. So in chapter six, we we see chapter six. Okay, so what's happening here? I think there's it's very possible that what we have in chapter six, as these four horsemen come and these these seals are opened, it's very possible we have a time like a, a view of the history of the entire world. Mm-hmm. That's very possible that there's a time between Christ's first and second comings laid out here. And the repeated patterns we see of evil government and oppression towards Christian, all these things. It's also possible that what we're going to see in different waves through the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bulls, is a repetition of the same judgments looked at from different angles. Hmm. So take whatever view you want, I guess. <laughs> but th- let's look at kind of what these what these seals reveal. So the first seal we see the first horseman of the apocalypse, right? It's a white horse. 
verse 2, chapter 6, and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. So this is, so the bow in his hand is military might. The bow is often referred to in the Bible in terms of military power. Like when God says he's going to break the bow, he's referring to he's going to crush the army, he's going to stop the military might of a nation. So this writer has a bow and a crown. So he's conquering and he's ruling. And this is a this is about war, right? So this is a conquering power. This is um, you know trampling through the nations. That's the idea. The second horse is a red horse. So white horse first, red horse next. And and this also has to do with war. So it says in verse four, its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another. So here it's also speaking of war, but probably like a civil war, mm-hmm. right? So taking away peace from the earth. So we see these powers throughout history. We'll also, I believe, see them at the end of the age. Mm-hmm. So when the end is near, we're going to see these in a greater greater way. Then the black horse in the, the third seal, and he's carrying a pair of scales. And so the black horse is referring to inflation and possibly famine, so it's economic hardship. Mm-hmm. So what he... What he has with these scales is he starts to essentially measure out food and the prices are ridiculous. So mm-hmm. you, you don't understand these measurements very likely, right, when you <laughs> read them. But essentially, you get, for a day's wage, a denarius, you get enough food to eat for that day. Mm. So there's not, and, and maybe enough food for your family as well. But this is incredibly, this is oppressive, this is incredibly difficult, so it may point to famine, but definitely the reality of, of inflation. Right. Dun, and then, dun, dun. yeah, and then we insert political comment now since we're going through crazy <laughs> inflation. And then the, the pale horse in, in verse 8, right? A pale horse, so this is the fourth seal. And the, the pale, the idea of pale is probably like a greenish-yellowish color. So actually, it's it's like the word, the word that they use, chloros, is like the word we, we get our word chlorine from. Mm-hmm. Not that it's speaking of chlorine, but so it refers to kind of a sulfurous, greenish yellow color so it's really kind of a it looks like death yeah. is the idea and of course the the writer is death and he is killing um, through famine and pestilence so we see these realities again throughout history but we're going to see them I think in a, a a greater way at the end when the, when the time is near we're going to see an increase of suffering and then we see the martyrs in the fifth seal the martyrs are revealed and they're crying out to God asking for judgment and vengeance for them mm. and they're told to to wait right and that that time that they're going to be vindicated mm-hmm. that's that's the idea so they're told told to wait but we see the martyrs and it's a good reminder that's a glorious thing to be among the numbers of the martyrs it is a great and glorious thing to be martyred to be killed for the name of jesus yeah a value that i think the church has largely lost i know i don't often think that way then we see the sixth seal, which seems to indicate the end of the world. Mm-hmm. So this is why either this is referring to the scope of history or it's referring to those events in a way that will then be repeated throughout the book. So the, the earth or the sky is torn back. Um, the, the mountains and islands are removed from their places. So later we're going to have mountains and islands. So if they're taken away, then this must be a repetition of what's happening here. And everyone is, right, these people that are are rebelling against God are calling for God to kill them, for the mountains to fall on them, so they don't have to face the wrath of God. Yeah. And so the sixth seal points to judgment on those who have followed 
a false way mm. who have rebelled against God. So chapter seven, we see a contrast, right? So from the sixth seal where it's, you know, the, the those who rebelled against God and the judgment coming upon them in the seventh or in, in this chapter seven, we see a picture of God's people completed and protected by mm. God. So, so God's people are protected and kept safe by God. And so we see this, um, that they're sealed. So verse, verse three, oh, sorry, verse, yes, yeah, verse three. He says, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. Remember that. That's going to be very important for when we get to the beast of Revelation. So they have their seal on their forehead, and the number of those sealed are 144,000. Now, seals come up many times in the scriptures, but they're meant to authenticate and to guard. Wow. So when you seal a letter, it now has a, a legal authority, right? Or legal protection that you can't open it unless you're the recipient. And also it shows who it comes from, who yeah. it belongs to be, by the mark on the seal. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not everyone's familiar with seals, but w- you know, wax, you melt the wax and then you get your ring or your rolly thingy and you imprint your mm-hmm. image whatever image it signifies you on that seal. It's right. like signing a document. Yeah. And so the people of God are sealed by him. Mm-hmm. And we see first the 12 tribes. Again, I think this, this number is probably symbolic, 144,000 from the tribe of Israel because it's exactly 12,000 from each tribe. So it seems to point to the completion, 12 times 12, 10 times 10, or yeah, 10 times 100, my math off multiplied together mm-hmm. right so it's it's the fullness a thousand pointing to fullness or completion and then 12 and 12 is multiplied as well so that seems to be the idea here one interesting thing is if you read the 12 tribes you'll notice someone's missing from the 12 tribes hmm. because <laughs> joseph is mentioned so that'd be ephraim and manasseh is also mentioned so that's the other side of joseph's tribe and then Levi is mentioned, and Levi is usually not mentioned right, in the, in the inheritance right. because he didn't have a land inheritance. He's a priest. So he's inserted here, and our boy Dan is taken out. Poor yeah. Dan. But this is probably, I, I, I still am not like totally convinced on why this is, mm-hmm. but it seems like the best argument I could find was that Dan is closely associated with idolatry mm-hmm. at the end of Judges, if you remember, right. and then in Kings as well. Mm. So I think that's, that might be the reason. It's just hard because I'm like, there's a lot of tribes that are really yeah. bad. So <laughs> <laughs> that's more the hard thing. It's not that they don't, that Dan deserves to be in there, but a lot of them kind of don't deserve to be in there. So, And then he sees this multitude. So we see Israel um symbolized this completion and then we see a multitude from every nation and tribe and people and language so this is a picture of the fullness of god's mm-hmm. people i would kind of lean towards the 144,000 is also a picture of the fullness of god's people not that it's specifically literal jewish people mm-hmm. but a lot of people will disagree with me that's okay so we see this multitude and they're clothed and they are crying out to God. And we see in verse 13 and 14, these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. So they've they've persevered, they've endured. And so we see this beautiful picture of them being at the throne of God. Look at verse 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither shall neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water 
and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Unbelievably beautiful. And also similar language that we're going to see at the very end of the book. Yeah. So it seems like this is a precursor or a a revealing of kind of the entire scope of history that's then going to be repeated Mm -hmm. later or or the events at the end that will be repeated later. Chapter 8, the seventh seal is open, and this leads to the seven trumpets. What are the seven trumpets all about? Well, these are judgments as warnings, so the Mm -hmm. need of God's people to repent. A trumpet blast was used as a warning in a city of coming danger, Mm -hmm. and we see it used this way in Scripture as well. So this is bad things are happening, repent, turn to God. Um, I won't talk about much about chapter 8, but verse 3 is really interesting. It says, And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angels, or the angel. So, so God's people's prayers are kept, and they are significant, and they go up to God, and they impact history, Right is the idea here. And so it's a good question to ask. Will our prayers be among those prayers? Hmm. Like, are we praying to God? Are we asking him to vindicate his name, to rescue his people, to right. complete his salvation? Are we longing for that? Mm-hmm. And are we interceding on people's behalf to God every day? Right. That's just one thing that really struck me is how important prayer actually is yeah. according to Revelation. So anyway, we should get into the seven trumpets for a little bit here. In these seven trumpets, we'll see similar things that happen to this in the seven seals. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a lot of the same themes, a lot of the same things happen. In chapter nine, I won't go through all the see, all the trumpets. It's, again, it's a lot of the same ideas. But one thing that's interesting here is um, w- what's with the, the locusts mm-hmm. in chapter yeah, nine. So, <laughs> so clearly, yeah, if you read this, you're like, what? What is this supposed to be a picture mm-hmm. of? Some people have said like, oh, these are helico- our helicopters, right? Like yeah, that's one of the most famous that, ones. Yeah. Like they're <laughs> like whatever Blackhawk. I don't know what kind of helicopters there are out there, but and like the Stingers are like their missiles and the well, Stinger missiles. I'm pretty sure shoot from the you know ground surface up to destroy helicopters. I don't know. I'm just saying. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> they have missiles on them and yeah, they and, shoot um, stuff and yeah. the hair thing is always weird. I never heard an explanation of the hair. Like these helicopters have women's hair on them. I don't know. Maybe it's like, <laughs> um, but okay. So, what are these locusts all about? Well, they remind us, of course, of the Egyptian plagues. Yeah. Right. Plague number eight was locusts. They remind us of the Book of Joel as well, where locusts mm-hmm. come and destroy. And so, the Book of Joel focuses on that metaphor of the locusts. So, there's clearly a pattern here in Scripture that is being completed and superseded, really, by what happens here. Hmm. It's much, much worse and more complete picture of judgment in this plague of locusts. Right. Um, these, cause these are not normal locusts. They're not normal. Yeah. Like, or, or, or naturally occurring locusts, I guess you could say. <laughs> so first see their origin in, in verses one through three, we see they come out of the bottomless pit out of the abyss. Mm. So the smoke comes up and the locusts come with them. Scary. And they're given power. And we'll see, you see that phrase over and over again. It, they were given authority. They were given this, they were given that throughout the book of Revelation. And, and remember when you see that, that is God giving them. They do not have that authority, that power on their own. It's only by God's permission and under his control that these things will happen. Right. So when 
suffering and persecution comes, even the worst kind, don't forget who's in control of it right. and trust him. But they, they have power to harm in verse 5, but not to kill. Mm-hmm. So they can't kill. And they're described in these supernatural terms. And I think what we should see in this description is the demonic nature of these beings and the fact that this is a perversion of God's good creation. Mm-hmm. So it is a, a picture of the horror of sin, the, yeah, the, the warping of sin. And so verse 10 it says they have tails and stings like scorpions and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. So this is a reminder of what sin brings. Sin promises to deliver something only mm-hmm. God can give, right? which is true satisfaction and real pleasure and joy. And yet what it delivers is just a warped version of God's good creation. Right. It's, it's ugly and destructive and painful. So these demonic creatures point to that reality mm-hmm. and they remind us of that. Verse eleven says they have a leader, so they're not they're not just like normal you know creatures, but they have a king ruling over them who's who's uh, Abaddon, or in Greek Apollyon. So Apollyon, that name might have been used to invoke a comparison to the the false god of the Greeks and Romans, mm-hmm. Apollos, mm-hmm. Um, who was I believe the the messenger of the god, and it's it's interesting because the emperor Domitian who was the emperor when, when John wrote this book, also claimed to be an incarnation mm. of the god Apollos. Mm. And so this is a natural saying that, potentially, not dogmatic on this, but that that false god is actually a demon, and mm. he brings destruction and harm. He's not a true god that can bring life. Right. So in, in 9.13 and following, the sixth trumpet brings horsemen that are also described in very interesting and supernatural terms, and these bring death rather than just harm. So the locusts could harm, but they couldn't kill. Mm -hmm. And so every time these things are happening there, it's increasing the severity of the judgment coming. And so here we see that they are killing. They're killing people. And the supernatural nature of these is clear in verse 17, where it talks about they have the heads of horses. Sorry, the heads of horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. Right. So a third of mankind is killed in verse 18. And so this is a severe, severe judgment. Yeah. But mankind does not listen. No. Mankind still rebels against God. And we'll see, of course, this pattern as well. Verse 20 of chapter 9. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. Yeah, so the judgment of God did not bring about repentance. Yeah. Yeah. Nor give up worshiping demons. Nor did they, verse 21, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual morality or their thefts. Yeah. So the same pattern is still occurring. God is giving so much, right? He's, he's, he's being gracious and merciful to bring pain and then later to bring death so that people that are on earth can repent. Mm-hmm. And yet people persist in their sin. Mm. Chapter 10, we see a, uh, another angel who has John eat this scroll. Which reminds us, of course, of which prophet? The, the scroll guy, right? Ezekiel. Oh, yes. Ezekiel eating the scroll. Super weird. But he's taking the word of God into his heart and he's getting ready for the next round mm-hmm. of prophecies, right? which we'll look at next week. And next week, I think we get into really a lot of the spicy things, right? Who is the beast? Who is this false prophet? What is 666? We'll talk a lot about that. We'll find That's out. a big question. But again, what encouragement do we have from this? Well, God is in control. Mm-hmm. When evil comes, 
when these judgments come, he's in control. God is going to vindicate his people, that, that those who trust in Jesus, even when they suffer harm in this world, God will bring vengeance on those people. Yeah. And that we should be praying for the salvation of the world. Right. Yeah. There's only one way you can stand before the judgments, either to for you to take that judgment on yourself, to, to pay the price for what you deserve, which is hell, or for Christ to pay that for you, for you to trust in his sacrifice on your behalf. That's the only way that you can stand before God on the last day. Right. And so, for the love of God, repent. <laughs> yeah. right? Believe in him now. That's what should be our encouragement. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. We'll see you next week.